This is the third and final Bible reading from the Church Society Fellowship of Word and Spirit Conference 2020, Preaching to the Heart. And we're again following in the footsteps of failures and we're looking at Paul's sermon in front of Agrippa in Acts chapter 26. Before we uh, read the Bible, let's pray. Father, as ever, we pray that you would be with us as we read your word and ponder on it. May the meditations of our hearts and the words of my lips be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. Amen. Acts chapter 26, reading from verse 1. So Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defence. I consider myself fortunate that it's before you, King Agrippa, I'm going to make my defence today against all the accusations of the Jews, and especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen, listen to me patiently. My manner of life from my youth spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews, for they have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made through God by God to our fathers, to which our twelve tribes hope to attain, as they earnestly worship night and day, and for this hope I am accused by Jews, O King. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? I myself was convinced that I, that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues, and tried to make them blaspheme, and in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me, and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive the forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, 
and throughout all the region of Judea and also to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. And as he was saying these things in his defence, Festus with a loud voice said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I'm speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time you would persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, Whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day, might become such as I am, except for these chains. Then the king rose, and the governor and Bernice, and those who were sitting with them, and when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, This man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. I was put forward for ministry training about 17 years ago. Um, I was reluctant, but uh, I did so anyway. There was much hoop jumping and uh, a very stressful selection conference. I remember the sheer effort I put into trying to appear normal uh, like someone who wouldn't cause trouble because uh, one of the things that had been said about me is that I was bound to cause trouble. I also remember the report that I got back from the conference and in particular four words that stood out. Four words that were seared onto my eyeballs. It said, Jason Ward is classless. I did not take that very well. My vicar uh, reread the letter and what they'd actually said, and he pointed out that they didn't say I had no style. You can make your own minds up as whether they were thinking that. But that's not what they said. No, what they were saying was that I couldn't be pinned down as to what class I was. I got on well with everyone, wherever they came from. Working class, I was fine. Uh, upper class, uh, I got on well with them. It was supposed to be a compliment that I had no class. It, it Actually, it doesn't matter which way you split it. It still sounds awful. Anyway, I embraced this description. It struck me as a good way of living out James chapter 2, treating everyone fairly. 
like a Royal Navy chaplain, assumes the rank of the person that they're speaking to. They never look up to anyone. They never look down on anyone. Or I think uh, they got me wrong on the selection conference. I am middle class. I look up to him, but I look down on him. I'm sure we've all had the experience of someone rich or young or famous coming into church and you find yourself working super hard not to treat them differently, but you still do. You want them to be impressed. You want them to like you. You want them to come back. But that is a universal human experience. So here's megastar Jennifer Lawrence. If you don't know her, trust me, she is extremely famous. This is her after winning an Oscar. Now, the reason she's pulling that face on the screen, apologies again if you're listening to the audio, but she is geeking out because she just met Jack Nicholson. She actually propositioned him on camera. Here's award-winning actor Adam Scott, one of my favourites. And uh, in, this, uh, in this picture, he is shaking like a leaf because right in front of him is his childhood hero, Mark Hamill. Luke Skywalker from Star Wars. We can be easily impressed. We elevate mere humans on the grounds of money or intelligence, or we fear their power over us, or we just adore them. And we people please. But Paul, like Jesus, didn't. Picture him there standing before King Agrippa and Queen Bernice and Governor Festus. Just as Jesus had stood before Herod and Pilate before him. He's been unfairly trapped in prison for over two years. He's in chains. He's grubby. And he's in front of these royals in all their finery as they sit in judgment over him. But there's no awe in him. And there's no resentment either. Despite the two years in jail for nothing. Instead, what does he do? He grabs this opportunity to tell them the gospel. The same gospel he's given nobles and nobodies across the world. Paul really is classless. And I think he's like that because, like Stephen and like Peter, he does not care what people think about him, but what people think about Jesus. And I'd like us today to learn from him how to be genuinely classless. Caring not what people think about us, but what they think of Jesus. Let's start with Paul's introduction. So Agrippa, uh, in verse 1, Paul's introduction says, Agrippa says to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. And then Paul stretches out his hand and makes his defence. 
Uh, so let's set the scene. They're probably in the palaces of uh, Caesarea Maritima. That's near Nazareth for Rome. Uh, this is the capital of the Palestinian area. The figurehead King Agrippa and his sister Berenice arrive in great ceremony to the audience hall. It's probably in the governor's palace. You can imagine the finery. And Paul is brought out for trial. Now, the background is, of course, that Paul has appealed to Nero in order to stop Festus simply handing him over to the Pharisees for execution. So Paul gets to go to Rome to preach, which is something he wanted. This, however, has left Festus in a pickle because he's now got a prisoner held with no charges for two years, going to the very highest court in the land for nothing. So when Agrippa invites Paul to speak, what they really need is Paul to have enough rope to hang himself. They need Paul to incriminate himself with his own words, but Paul doesn't do that. It's clear all the way through this that Paul understands the situation he's in and the format and conventions of the day. This is not a spur-of-the-moment speech by a hothead. Paul has done his research. This is an uh, apologiomai. It is a proper legal defence, an apology. And according to Luke, Paul uses classical Greek legal rhetoric, beginning with an exordium. Uh, for those of you who are into your uh, fancy stuff. Oh, there's Agrippa on the screen, just in case you needed a picture of his coins. There we are. So he starts in verse 2 with his exordium. Uh, he is a good Jew. He says, I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, that I'm going to make my defence today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Uh, this is entirely in keeping with the culture of the day. Paul's not being uh, necessarily insincere. In fact, I don't think he is being insincere. Uh, Agrippa is genuinely a reasonable person. Now, his dad, King Agrippa I, was awful. Uh, he killed the Apostle James 15 years previously. But this young Agrippa II is a different sort. He's been raised in Emperor Claudius's courts. He is both Roman and Jewish. And he's well known for pleading the cause of the Jews to Rome and the cause of Rome to the Jews. He's not afraid of Jewish priests. In fact, he regularly has them changed and he doesn't care for petty Jewish politics. So Agrippa genuinely could give Paul a fair hearing. So Paul lays out the background to the case. Except, of course, the case he lays out is not why they should release Paul, but why everyone should believe in Jesus. Again, he's turning the tables. He uses his personal story, almost a defence, to demonstrate the veracity of the gospel of Jesus Christ, why they should believe. He starts with this, that Paul, 
was a good Jew. Verses 11, 4 to 11, Paul was a good Jew. Um, there's, uh, there's nothing like a, a good conversion story. Uh, nothing like someone who's hostile to an idea being utterly persuaded by the evidence. So uh, I hated Apple computers for the longest time. Uh, now I am an absolute fanboy. Uh, here's a picture of petrol head Jeremy Clarkson being gobsmacked by how good the electric Tesla Model X is. And you find yourself thinking, oh, if it's good enough to win over Clarkson, Well, Paul was raised, verses 4 to 5, as a true Jew. Agrippa uh, might know what it's like for people to say that he's a compromised Jew, not a true Jew. Um, Agrippa, having been raised in Rome. But Paul, no, he was born and raised a Jew. Everyone will grudgingly back him up on that one. The strictest kind of Jew, the most committed kind of Jew. And he is still a true Jew. Verses 6 to 8. Uh, Christianity is not a Jewish heresy. Christianity, says Paul, is what the Jews had been waiting for. The whole point of uh, Judaism is the hope and promise of a way to be back with God forever. The Sadducees are wrong. The everyday dog goes to heaven liberals are wrong. There is a resurrection to a far better life says Paul, but being among the few who attain to it is the only thing that matters. And verse 8, it's not unreasonable. If there is an all-powerful God, of course he could raise the dead. Now, the Roman gods would struggle with that, absolutely, but not the Jewish God. The Jewish God has proven himself all-powerful. He could raise the dead. Why should that be the sticking point. And this has always been Israel's hope that God raises the dead and has justice for us in the end. Now, for a long time, Paul lived at this conviction uh, to the full as an extreme Jew. Verse 9, he says, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and he lists his efforts. Locking up, killing, punishing Christians wherever possible. Shockingly, he was so filled with rage against Christians that he thought Satan too slow at his job and he did his best to get Christians to blaspheme and sin. And then he took his band of hate on tour. Like Clarkson, the petrol head shows the model Tesla X is a great car. Paul shows that Jesus really did rise from the dead. He's the perfect convert. And that's what he tells Agrippa about next in verses 12 to 8. Paul met Jesus. Paul met Jesus. Here we get a, a version of Acts 9 that fills in some of the details of how Jesus made Paul a Christian. He says it was about midday when Jesus met him. And the light that surrounded him was brighter even than that midday sun. He tells us that the men with him fell to the ground. 
that the heavens spoke to him in Hebrew. Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads, Saul. I love that. Jesus pities poor dumb Saul. He's kicking at ox goads like punching a high voltage fence. Who's going to get hurt? Not the fence. Burn down our churches. Martyr our brothers and sisters. You persecute me, says Jesus, but it's you who gets hurt. With each martyr, you get further away from God. And I still win. The church still wins. Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus. And with those three little words, Paul's world is upside down. Jesus isn't dead. Jesus isn't from the devil. And the Lord is not pleased with my efforts, thinks Paul. This is how Jesus made Paul a Christian. He Tesla modelled X'd him. He forced him to believe with overwhelming evidence against his will. Now, why? Why did Jesus make Paul a Christian? We get this in verse 16. There's one reason to appoint him as a witness to open others' eyes. Verse 16. I have appeared to you for this purpose, to anoint you as a servant and a witness. Verse 18. In order that, to open eyes so that they may turn. Paul is given one job he is to witness witness to the fact that jesus is back from the dead witness to the fact that jesus is still at work witness so that eyes are opened and that lives are turned from darkness to light from satan to god so that people are forgiven and granted a place with god forever as jesus said to his disciples go and make disciples of all nations teaching them to observe all that i have commanded you and in verse 19 to 20, this is what Paul did. He took the gospel to Damascus, to Jerusalem, to Judea and to the ends of the earth, as it were, teaching people to repent and be baptised, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. That is, living like Jesus, being good citizens of the Republic. Verse 21, this is the background to the case. This is why I am in prison. Which brings Paul uh, to his proposition, his propositio, uh, that actually by being a Christian, it is Paul who is being a faithful Jew because Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. Paul is the faithful Jew. Paul is the faithful Jew. That's verses 22 to 23. He says, verse 22, to this day I have had this help. That comes from God, and so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. In some respects, that's not a bad defence of Paul. He's only done what God told him to do. 
He's only preached what the Old Testament said would happen. And Judaism is a religio licita. It's a, it's a legal and accepted religion within the Roman Empire. It's fine. Uh, Paul is being a proper Jew. And being a proper Jew is okay. It's not a bad apology for Paul's behaviour. But it is much more powerful as a Jewish apologetic for Jesus being the Christ. God himself has made sure that Paul is able to testify to Jesus. What does that say about Jesus? God wants Paul to stand up and say who Jesus is. What does that say? The Old Testament, the prophets and Moses testify to Jesus. What does that say about who Jesus is? And Jesus has only fulfilled everything that they promised. His suffering, his resurrection, his ministry to the world. So Paul is almost saying, forget whatever crimes I'm supposed to have committed, Agrippa. I've seen the fulfilment of the prophets. This is what we've been waiting for. Agrippa, this is what you've been waiting for. Paul, the prisoner, is excitedly, passionately trying to save the judge. Um, incidentally, you, you, you may note... Um, it's often said that it's not really an evangelistic talk until we've done the cross and penal substitution. But for Paul, at least here, the gospel is about Jesus Christ fulfilling the Old Testament. Suffering, yes, but also rising from the dead. His hope is more than just forgiveness. His hope is resurrection. So it's not just the cross and penal substitution. It's the cross, penal substitution and resurrection. Well, now we move to verse 24. Paul, the rational witness. Paul, the rational witness. If Paul was following a standard legal speech, uh, he should now tackle various objections. The refutation, the refutatio. Uh, but the governor intervenes himself. He shouts an objection. Insane, Paul! Your great learning is driving you insane, he shouts. Now that's revealing, isn't it? Festus is not going to be thick. Uh, you're not allowed to rule the Middle East for Rome um, if you're thick. It's not a job they pawn off on the trainees. And yet Festus himself is stunned by how educated Paul clearly is. Perhaps we're missing some of Paul's Old Testament quotes or his facility with the rabbis or maybe it's simply the skill of his speech. Either way, Festus is impressed but he can't accept it. What Paul is saying is true, it changes too much. And these claims being made in such a rational, clear, intelligent way, it makes it worse. So he blurts out the only thing he can think of. You're so smart and so well read, Paul, you've gone daft. You've gone right round uh, super intelligence and back to thickness. Or 
gone mad with it. It's just one of those things that we hear from time to time when someone's got no rational arguments, but they still feel that you must be wrong. They'll blurt out something like, you've gone mad. Now, Paul could get sidetracked by this. He could say, blast, now I have to prove that I'm sober and level-headed. But he doesn't. He doesn't refute the objections. He's got a laser focus. I want that man over there to be saved. That's all he wants. I want to reach to that person and tell them about Jesus. So he, so he stays calm, single-minded, reasonable. Verse 25. I am not out of my mind. Most excellent Festus keeps his head, keeps his manners. But I'm speaking true and rational words. The king knows about these things and to him I speak boldly. For I'm sure that none of these things have escaped his notice for this has not been done in a corner. Here's the lesson for us when we're attacked. Remember, Paul's been in prison for two years. No one would blame him if he was a little frazzled or short-tempered. But he says, no. God's in control of this situation. I don't need to worry. Right here, right now, in this moment, this is what God wants me to do. Tell that man about Jesus. And all he needs to do now is bring the threads together. Agrippa knows about Jesus. Agrippa knows about his death, his resurrection. He knows what's been going on. It's a matter of public knowledge. Agrippa knows about the prophets. He knows that Messiah was to suffer, die and rise on the third day, or at least he does now. Now he brings those threads together. Jesus must be the Messiah. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. Can you imagine saying that to the Queen or President Trump or President Putin? Paul is classless. He cares so much more for their souls than their opinion. He's more anxious that Agrippa is freed from hell than he is freed from his chains. And Agrippa gets it. He doesn't say that Paul is mad. All the way through, Paul has been careful, researched, planned, calm. Agrippa gets it. In a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And this is Paul's appeal, the main point of the whole speech. Whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Such as I am. Paul is genuinely proud of what Jesus has done for him. Forgiven among those who are sanctified, attaining to the hope of the resurrection. I want you to have that too. It might be the British temperament, but I imagine that many of us 
if King Agrippa said, are you trying to convert me in one day? We'd all back down and say, oh, no, 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 no. I'm just excited about the evidence. Someone powerful, wise or rich would think we'd overstepped. I'm sorry. I know my place. But Paul looks at him straight in the eye as he would anyone. And he says, absolutely, yes, I am trying to convert you. I want everyone here to have what I've got. Eternal life with the Lord Jesus. Why wouldn't you want that? I called this series following in the footsteps of failures. Peter only saw 3,000 converts. Yes, 3,000. But I'm going to argue it could have been higher. So Peter only saw 3,000 converts. Stephen, he did not turn away their anger and he died. And as far as we know, Agrippa did not become a Christian. We could easily pronounce Paul failed, just as Peter and Stephen failed. From a worldly point of view, Paul could have used this chance to get himself free. But that was not what Jesus told him to do. I have appeared to you for this purpose, said Jesus, to appoint you as a servant and a witness. And I will deliver you from your people and from the Gentiles so that you can open their eyes. His job was to witness, and that's what he did. To great and to small, whoever it was at their level, for their souls. That was his job. Paul, if you knew that Agrippa was just going to walk away, would you have still tried? His answer would surely be yes. What I learned from Paul here is a classlessness and a passion for every soul, high or low. Two years in jail and he still cares, still has a passion for Christ's glory, still wants to tell the gospel doesn't matter how slim a chance it is and it doesn't matter who it is Paul works very very hard at a great testimony delivered with great skill and care and calm he takes care over all his words he's clearly done research he's planned his thoughts he's made every single moment count and just because it was unlikely to work doesn't mean you don't try, you don't care, you don't do your best. Whoever it is you're trying to reach. That's what Paul does here. I once worked at a church uh, that uh, got dozens along to evangelistic uh, courses. Uh, before I got to this particular church, uh, the last few had been cancelled uh, for various reasons. The first funeral I picked up, uh, almost as soon as I got there, was for an older chap who'd just started coming to the church. I asked if he was a Christian. Um, his wife said that she wasn't sure. He'd wanted to do one of those Christianity Explored courses, but the last one had got cancelled because he was the only one who had signed up. By the time the next course came up, 
with me running it, of course, it was too late because I'd already taken his funeral. Now, I understand why that happened, and most of us would have done something like that. But I come off the back of what Paul says here, and I think Paul would have run the course for one person. Whoever it was, whether it's some old guy or a famous young one, he would have run the course. He pulled out all the stops for Agrippa. But he did that for everybody. When he ran a beach mission and there were just a few women that turned up, his whole team still ran the mission. He got beaten up. He got thrown in jail. And even though it was in the middle of the night, he pulled out all the stops for just one Philippian jailer. He wasn't in awe of Agrippa or the jailer. He didn't look down on either. He was classless. He went all on out for every single person. And uh, I think I want to be like that when I grow up. Let me ask, do you ever put on an event or an evangelistic thing and you just despair? Uh, perhaps uh, who comes along as well as how few come along. Uh, the few you get, they're so weird and odd. It can't just be me who gets depressed that my church isn't filled with exact duplicates of myself, but with more money. Paul teaches me, great or small, however you might regard them, you put the effort in. You do your research, you get into the culture around you, and you give them the gospel in the best way you can that is shared in a way that they can understand best. Because souls are at stake and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ is at stake, that's what you do. I would to God that all who hear me this day, from the impressive young man to the strange old lady who smells a bit funny, from King Agrippa to the court attendants, might become such as I am. Let's pray. Lord, give us great encouragement from these greats of the book of Acts. These forerunners that we learn from. Thank you and give us great encouragement from the fact that they would seem to be failures too. Help us, therefore, whenever we reach out for the glory of Jesus Christ and the salvation of souls, help us when we reach out to whoever it might be and however many it might be to reach out with all our heart, all our passion and all our work, striving to make Jesus Christ known. Would we do it for his glory. For the salvation of many souls. We pray in Jesus name. Keep us going Lord. 
however much we feel. Amen. Well, thank you for joining uh, me. And I pray that you are blessed, if not by what uh, I've tried to show you, at least by what God has said in his word.